I'm reading this morning from Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. He is risen. Pretty good. Let's do it again. He is risen. <laughs> Amen. What an amazing scene that is that was just read to you. As the women come to the tomb and they are fully expecting a dark, sealed tomb, Jesus' body in there, they're just hoping that somebody can roll the stone away so they can anoint the body, which is beginning to decay after three days. They must have been shocked by what they saw. I can only equate it to my son and his wife, Jeremy and Becca, six weeks ago, flew thousands of miles to Malaysia with their seven-month-old daughter to surprise her parents who were missionaries in Malaysia. You can imagine what the scene was like. As they set it up and went to a friend's house and the baby was sitting on a couch Jeremy and Becca were hiding. They walked in, her parents, one at a time. Her mother looked and saw this baby and said, Oh, wow, there's a baby in your house. <laughs> and then, wow, she looks a lot like... Still didn't get it. The friend finally says, That's your granddaughter. You can imagine. Her jaw hit the floor. It took a while to get it back. <laughs> She was stunned because this is so outside her experience. This is not what she expected. She thought the baby was thousands of miles away. As much like it had to feel to Mary and Mary as they went to the tomb that morning and it was mostly dark. It was just barely beginning to turn light as the sun was hidden behind the mountains. The glow is starting to come and it's dark. They're coming around. They come around the corner and they see this person sitting there and he's bright. In fact, they can only describe his face because it's so bright as lightning, the flash of lightning. And his clothes, this white as snow, lighting up the entire area. There was an earthquake that happened on the way, but that didn't stop them. They kept walking. They see this man and he's sitting on the stone which is rolled away, which I think is significant. <laughs> he's sitting on the stone. God's power 
over death. God's conquering of death. As they try to take all this in, they, they're trying to figure this out. What, what's going on? What, what's going, what's, what has happened here? The angel speaks to them, but he speaks directly into the, their hearts because he says, do not fear. Now, they were afraid. They had to be. This was an amazing sight, a shocking sight. And we're told that the Roman soldiers, hardened soldiers, elite troops, when they saw this sight of the angel, they passed out. So the women were afraid. But he says, do not be afraid. I know why you're here. You came to find Jesus. But he is not here. He's risen. Come see the proof. Come look inside and go and tell the others. Thus began the greatest day in all history, the day Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He truly is risen. He's risen indeed. And this morning from this passage, I want to highlight three things about the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection, the responses to the resurrection, and then two responsibilities that we have because of the resurrection. But God's question for you and for me this morning, each one of us in this room, is what will I do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Pray with me. What an amazing scene this is, Lord, as the women were shocked by seeing something outside their experience. But you open their eyes, you give them eyes of faith to see reality, the truth of the resurrection, as they saw the angel and then saw the risen Lord. For each of us in this room, may we have eyes of faith. Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see the reality of the resurrection and then let it impact our lives that we might be changed forever as they were. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this resurrection story, it's a wonderful story. We love telling it every year. But let's be honest. A lot of people don't believe it. They don't think it's true. So the question is, did it really happen? <laughs> is it a fact, a fact of history, a reality? Well, of course, it is. We believe that or we wouldn't be here. <laughs> it's a fact. Jesus rose from the dead. And I just want to highlight three good reasons. There's many more, but three good reasons why I think we should believe that this is a fact. First of all, Jesus predicted it. Verse 6. The angel said, He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Now, Jesus told the disciples a number of times, Yes, I am going to die, be put to death, be buried, but on the third day I will rise. He told the disciples that, but they didn't get it. They didn't understand that because, again, that was outside their experience. They didn't understand the reality of that. But Jesus predicted it. It's not a surprise to him. And the Old Testament predicted it. This was a prophecy that came true when Jesus rose from the dead. So we can trust that it's a fact because Jesus predicted it. Secondly, we can trust it's a fact because eyewitnesses reported it. Eyewitnesses reported it. Mary and Mary 
see the angel and then they see the risen Christ and they go and tell. And it's exciting to me, I think, (laughs) that Jesus chose these two women to be the first witnesses. See, the Jewish culture and much of the world today will not allow the testimony of women. It's not valid. It doesn't bear any weight in a court of law in many places today and throughout history. The Jewish culture was certainly that way. They could never be legal or valid witnesses in a court of law. But women are whom God chose to be his witnesses, to go tell the disciples and everyone else. Isn't that amazing and wonderful? And it's a reminder to us that the kingdom of God is open to everyone. There are no privileged people in the kingdom of God. Everybody is welcome to come if they will only come and believe in the risen Christ. So they reported it. They are eyewitnesses of the resurrection. All four Gospels give witness and testimony to the resurrection. Now, some people look at those Gospels and they say, well, yeah, they all talk about the resurrection, but there's, there's differences, there's contradictions, at least apparent contradictions between the Gospels. So, you know, it's not a real story. It couldn't be true. Well, let me read to you from a, an attorney, a lawyer that studied this issue, studied the Gospels. He says this, It is, as you know, a part of the lawyer's profession to examine and cross-examine witnesses, to detect their errors and expose their falsehoods, or, on the other hand, to reconcile their conflicting statements and from seeming discord to evolve and make manifest the real truth. This is the attorney, Edmund Bennett, and he studied the Gospels. He studied them thoroughly. And he said, these... Gospels have the ring of authentic eyewitnesses because of the apparent contradictions. You see, if somebody had tried to manufacture this story and make it appear like it happened, they would not have left the apparent contradictions. They would have made it all sound more in harmony. But the reality is, when an event is observed by different eyewitnesses, and the attorneys know this, They always look at it from their own perspective and their testimony can sound contradictory because they're highlighting different things, they're remembering different things, and they can all be completely true and yet they appear contradictory. But our Gospels clearly reflect that they are accurate, true eyewitness accounts because of that. And of course the Apostle Paul tells us about other eyewitnesses as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 4, he says this, He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, though some have fallen asleep, died in other words. This was written some 20 to 25 years after Jesus rose from the dead. But he says, hey, there's still a lot of people alive, most of them, who remember it. They were there. They saw the risen Christ. If you want to disprove it, go talk to them because it's true. There were many, many eyewitnesses. So eyewitnesses reported it. Jesus predicted his resurrection. Eyewitnesses reported it. 
We have firm evidence. And finally, history proves the truth, the fact of the resurrection. Remember the story. The disciples followed Jesus, but when he was arrested, they were terrified. Peter denied him three times. They ran away. They ran for their lives and they hid because they were so afraid that they would be arrested too. They were terrified. And yet, not long after this, they appeared in Jerusalem and preached before all the people that Jesus had risen. Now, what accounts for such a dramatic change? How could they have changed so much? That's a fact of history. How could they have changed so dramatically? Only if they had seen the risen Lord that so many others had seen as well, including the 500 eyewitnesses. And the resurrected Christ continues to change lives even today. He's changed my life in so many ways, and He's changed many of your lives that are here. And that is historical proof that Jesus is alive today. So the resurrection is a fact. It is reality. But if that's the case, why are there so many in our world that do not accept it as fact and don't live accordingly? Well, because people respond in different ways to this fact, the truth of the resurrection. And this passage shows us three responses. The first response is the response of denial. Denial. Reading in verse 11 of Matthew 28. Now while they, the women, were on their way, some of the guard, the Roman guard, the elite guard, came into the city and they reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say, His disciples came by night and stole Him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win Him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews as it is to this day. Now that's what Matthew writes in his day, but it's also true to our day. That's still a story that some Jews and many others spread around and say, oh, well, the disciples must have come and stolen the body while the Roman soldiers were asleep. Well, that's an absurd idea, though it's the best they could come up with. It's absurd because this was the elite Roman guard. They knew that if they ever fell asleep on the job, they would be executed, no questions asked. They had a job to do. They were trained. They were hardened. They knew that, that they had to do their job. And therefore, there's no way that they could have just fallen asleep during the night and the disciples somehow come and rolled the stone away without them knowing about it and stolen the body. But this is the best lie that they could come up with. Now, think about it. These are the religious leaders of the day. The chief priests. The elders of the Jews. If anybody should accept it as reality, given the kind of evidence they had, it says the soldiers came and told them all that had happened. Yet instead of accepting it, they deny it. They create a lie. Now, why did they do that? Well, because knowledge brings responsibility. 
If you know something to be true, you are obligated, you are responsible to respond to that truth accordingly. But they knew if they accepted the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead, that then they were accountable to Him as Lord and Master. That He was Lord of the universe. He was alive. He was the Messiah that they'd been waiting for. And they did not want to give up control of their own lives. So they chose to create a lie and to deny the reality of the resurrection simply because they did not want to believe it. Well, it's the same today. Deep down, many people know Jesus is real, Jesus is alive, He's risen, and yet they choose to deny that fact because they don't want to give up their control of their own lives. They don't want to let Him be Lord. You see, a risen Christ shakes up our whole view of ourselves, of our world, and of God Himself. And many of us would rather stay in the safety of self control and denial than accept the reality of the resurrection. So the first response is denial. The second is doubt. Verse 16 and 17. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. Now again, imagine this scene. The risen Christ appears right before the disciples. And some of them worshipped, but it says some doubted. Now, I've had several people say to me, well, you know, it's hard for me to believe in Jesus because you can't see him. And if I could just see him, if he just show up and stand right here before me, then I could believe. Well, notice the disciples saw the risen Christ right before them, and they still chose to doubt. They still could not believe. We humans have a hard time accepting things that blow our minds, that are outside the box of what we're used to. And it may take time to accept reality, to develop eyes of faith. We don't know where these doubters went, if they went back to denial or if they went on to the third response, which is worship. Look at verse 9. And behold, again, this is the women meeting Jesus. Behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. Now, they could have just said, well, wow, we're having an awesome dream here, aren't we? (laughs) Pretty amazing. Or we're hallucinating because we're so tired or something. They could have done that, but listen to what they did. When Jesus greeted them, they came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. You see, the only adequate response, really, to a risen Lord, if Jesus is alive and He is Lord, then the only reasonable response is to come to Him, to grab hold of Him. Now, we can't physically, but we can commit ourselves to Him and then to surrender our lives to Him in worship, recognizing who He is, recognizing He is Lord, to worship Him as the risen Lord. If He is truly risen, then He is Lord of the universe. And He has conquered sin and death. We've been set free from the power of sin and death. We no longer have to be afraid or hang on to the guilt of our sins. We can experience His total forgiveness as a gift because He's risen from the dead. You see, it proves all of that. 
Some friends of ours sent a letter to Jeannie and myself, and when they sent this letter, they put the correct address, they sent it to us, but they got the letter back, and it wasn't delivered. And on the, this is the envelope, said this. <laughs> Return to sender, inmate no longer in custody. No, our friends were really wondering what was going on. <laughs> to be honest, I was too. <laughs> but then I thought, how true, how appropriate. You see, I, I, like all of us, was enslaved to sin and death and I was in custody in my own prison of my own self and self-control and trying to run my own life. But when I came to Jesus and bowed before him and simply said, Lord, I give you my life. Thank you for your forgiveness. I was set free. I was no longer in custody. <laughs> and it's true of everyone here who's given their lives to Jesus. You've been set free. You're no longer in custody. Inmate, no longer here. <laughs> We no longer, too, have to fear death. I love that about working with believers when there's a funeral. It's hard, but when the person who died knew Jesus, yes, it's hard because there's separation. Death is painful. It's messy. It's hard. But it's also a cause for celebration because Jesus rose from the dead. Because He rose from the dead, we know He conquered sin and death. And therefore, Physical death is not the end, but we go to be with Him forever and we will receive bodies just like His risen body. Mortality will put on immortality. That's the promise we have. And so believers live in hope and don't have to despair when death comes. But if Jesus has risen, it also leaves us with some responsibilities. And I want to highlight two responsibilities of the resurrection. The passage ends this way. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Jesus says, because I'm risen, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I am sovereign. You can trust in my leadership and my control. You can surrender your life to me. And I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you. We have his presence with us. So a couple of responsibilities. We could highlight more. There's a lot here, but I just want to highlight two. One, we need to follow him. We need to be disciples. You see, a disciple is one, in those days, a rabbi would gather a few hand-picked followers who would follow him everywhere for a number of years, learn everything about him so they could become like him. If Jesus is risen, then it's incumbent on all of us to follow him, to get to know him, to know everything about him and learn as much as we can to be like him in the power of the Spirit as he lives his life through us. So our first responsibility is to follow him ourselves. But then secondly, our responsibility 
is to help others to follow him. He says, make disciples of all nations. Help others become a disciple. Help others learn to follow him. As the angel and as Jesus said to the women, go and tell. Go and tell. Let others know the glorious news that Jesus is alive. He has risen from the dead. Let everybody know. Folks, gravity is a fact. It's a fact. You can choose to deny that fact. You can choose to doubt the fact of gravity. Or you can embrace it and learn to live accordingly. But denying or doubting gravity, the fact of gravity, will have grave consequences in your life, especially if you step off a cliff or a tall building. (laughs) But regardless of whether you deny it or doubt it, it's still a fact. Well, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact. And that means Jesus is now Lord. You can deny that fact. You can choose to doubt that fact. Or you can choose to embrace him as Lord and live accordingly. But if you deny or doubt the fact of the risen Christ, that will have grave consequences in your life. For many years, my dad denied the resurrection. He said, at one point in my life, he said, hey, I've looked at Christianity, I've looked at the miracles, I've looked at the resurrection, I don't believe it's true, don't ever talk to me again about it. But when he was 72 years old, we sat down and had a conversation and he said, you know, I still, I don't really get the virgin birth, that's kind of weird to me, I don't know if I believe that or not, a lot of the miracles just seem kind of wild. My dad was a skeptical attorney. And at 72, he began to look at the resurrection and began to think it through and he began to realize that it was a fact. He could not deny it any longer. And at age 72, he realized he had a choice. Am I going to continue to deny the resurrection? Am I going to doubt it? Or am I going to come to Jesus, grab hold of him and worship him? At age 72, he gave his life to Christ. Five years later, he died. But he is now with the Lord because he chose to respond to the fact of the resurrection by faith. Where are you today? Maybe you're a denier. You said, "Ah, I don't believe that stuff. Maybe you're a doubter. Well, you know... Possibly, but it's just hard to make that commitment. And Well, God is tugging on your heart this morning and saying, today's the day. It's time to move from being a denier or a doubter to a worshiper. Come to Jesus. He has open arms. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's in your past. It doesn't matter your weakness, your addictions, anything. He says, come to me. I will set you free. I'll release you from custody. I will give you new life if you will simply come to me. And if you're already a worshiper of Jesus Christ, he calls you to be a disciple, a follower of him, to get to know him and love him and walk with him in a deeper way.
than you ever have and to help others become a follower of him as well. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. What a glorious truth this is, Lord. Thank you that we can gather here and declare the truth of the resurrection. But I pray for each heart in this room. Lord, you know exactly where they are. Those who have denied that fact of your resurrection, denied the truth. You know those who have doubted and just resisted really bowing before you as Lord. You know each heart here. I pray that you would prompt them to finally today, this Easter day, this resurrection day, embrace the truth of you as the resurrected Lord and give their lives to you so they might be set free, experience the freedom from custody into the joy and freedom of the children of God. So we thank you and praise you for the truth of the resurrection that you rose again and gave us life. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.